Hello, happies. Hello, happies. Hello, my happies. How are you guys doing today, huh? You're having a good week so far? You're getting all your work done? You're doing all your stuff? Do you feel accomplished? I hope so. You should. You work very hard. Um, I'm going to start out this podcast today by talking about one of my songs because I was asked a question about one of my songs and I, you know, told this person who had asked the story, you know, I responded and gave them the story of this song and uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to talk about it on my next podcast, so I'm going to start with it today. Hope you don't mind. Talk a little bit about myself. <laughs> There's a shocker. <laughs> anyway, so I have this track called Dream On, and I would imagine that if you've listened to my music at all, it's probably one of the songs that you either heard first or you found first, or um, maybe you even listen to it the most. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, okay, okay. It's probably the closest thing to a hit that I have, okay? It's probably one of my more popular songs. It's a song called Dream On, and, you know, for one reason or another, this particular song uh, has struck a chord with a lot of people. Okay, and I get asked questions about it a lot, and I get comments about it a lot. Um, you know, people thanking me and uh, you know saying stuff like, "Oh, when I hear this music, I travel into space and you know float away on a cloud." You know, poetic talk like that. You know, and I get it. I get it. It's one of those songs. It's it's pretty good. You know, um, I like it. You know, I like it a lot. And if you and if you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, um, you may or may not have noticed that recently I have released a bot video for Dream On. Um, it was a lot of fun to do, but anyway, back to the topic of this song. Um, this person was asking me, you know, pretty much point blank, why did I write the song Dream On? And honestly, you know, when I'm asked that question point blank, I mean, the answer is really, there really was no reason why. You know, I wasn't really particularly inspired, okay, to write that song. But um, I will tell you what happened. And uh, it's kind of funny, actually. My wife and I still laugh about it from time to time. Um, but at the time I wrote the song Dream On, Okay, my wife and I were living together. We weren't married yet. We were living together, living in sin. Okay. Um, and we lived in a really nice apartment. And for the first time in my life, uh, I had a studio space in my home. I had a recording studio, a recording space. And granted, now this was with a four track and everything and, you know, um, maybe half of the equipment that I wound up eventually accumulating, but 
uh, it was enough to sketch ideas down. And, you know, I really, at that time anyway, was really into this idea of recording at home. I was having a lot of fun doing it pretty much every day, like in all of my spare time, you know. And because I was recording on a cassette four track, from time to time, maybe I would write a, an idea, a song idea or a sketch that I didn't really think was that good. So, you know, I would go ahead and record over it. You know, that was something I did quite a bit just because I was trying to keep my arms around the whole cassette tape economy thing, you know, like getting as much out of my cassette tapes as possible at that time. So on this one particular evening, um, honestly, I think I had been partying maybe a little too much. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, I came home and I wanted to record. So I go into my studio, you know, and I plug everything in, turn everything on. And I start kind of screwing around on the guitar and coming up with something and, you know, kind of like all in one breath, this track, this song sketch for the song Dream On kind of just came out. Okay. And uh, it was really kind of um, not really unusual or anything, but uh, but I did manage to complete the idea, you know, and I just kind of thought, ah, you know, it's one of those ideas that kind of sucks, you know, nothing really popping, nothing really good there, but I'll erase over it tomorrow and I'll, you know, record something else over top of it. So I wake up the next day and just before I'm about to wipe this recording that I did, you know, just record over it, I decided I would listen to it one more time. Okay. And I did. And honestly, I was kind of like shocked at how different it sounded the morning after, (laughs) you know, I was kind of like, wow, I got like a whole song in one shot. You know, I didn't rewrite anything. I didn't change anything. I mean, the whole song from beginning to end was all done in one night. Probably, I mean, really, as long as it took to play the song is how long it took to record it. You know, I didn't really rehearse it. I didn't, you know, rethink anything. I just kind of went with stream of consciousness, you know, and... To this day, you know, when my wife and I talk about Dream On or when it comes up or, you know, there's a comment or there's something going on with Dream On, you know, uh, we both kind of laugh a little bit because I came so close to erasing that song. And wow, I'm so glad I didn't because it wound up becoming if like, okay, if it's not the most popular song I have. It's definitely like number two or number three. Okay. But it's probably number one, really. Um, I never really sat down and figured it out, but I came a hair's breadth away from recording over that track and it would have been gone forever. 
And thank God I had the foresight or whatever it was, the the inclination to just listen to it one more time, you know, before I erased it. So there you go. That's the story of Dream On, you know. And, uh, you know, in the song I say, you know, I, I make a reference to looking out the window, uh, you know, winter time, and, you know, I really gotta say, like, I, I remember it very clearly um, that there was like a mood in the room when I was writing that track. And, you know, the place I lived was really nice and warm and comfortable, but like right outside my window, which was about three stories up, and it overlooked like this field, you know, and it was at nighttime, like I said, you know, it was probably in the wee hours of the morning, really. And there was just this mood, you know, looking out the window into this cold and windy and foreboding, you know, winter scene, snow covered trees and everything just frozen and cold and being in the warmth of that room recording the song. It may sound a little corny, but whenever I hear that song, it takes me right back to that moment. You know, just one of those cool little things I thought I'd share with you. So there you go. That's the story of Dream On. I came so close to <laughs> losing it forever, you know, by my own hand. But it didn't happen. It wasn't meant to be. It was meant to be a song for all the world to hear and use for free in your YouTube videos or whatever. <laughs> right? Right? That's what it's good for. A lot of people use it for that. Um, a lot of space travel videos, really, more than anything else, which is kind of funny. But I suppose that is kind of like the theme of the song, you know, dream on the future, uh, you know. Uh, you know, I didn't actually, now that I'm thinking about it, with the title Dream On, um, I wasn't like uh, saying it, okay, I wasn't saying dream on, like in the, with the same sentiment that Aerosmith did or with the same sentiment that Depeche Mode did, where they're kind of saying, yeah, you know, like dream on, like it'll never happen. Your, your dream or whatever, it will never happen. Dream on. Okay, I was saying it like dream on, like don't stop dreaming, like keep dreaming. No matter what people say or do or whatever it is, you know, just keep dreaming, keep thinking of the new thing, keep aspiring to go higher and to do more. So it's more of an optimistic way of saying dream on, which I think is kind of clever in its own way, right? A little bit of optimism in this cold and foreboding world. Never hurt anybody, did it? Just a little bit of optimism, right? Um, okay, so that's the story of Dream On. I'll cut it off right there. But, okay, there's a couple of other things I want to talk about today. And I actually wrote a couple of things down here in my handy-dandy notebook. Okay, um, this is a funny one that I wanted to talk about. Okay, have you ever been in a situation where 
you grow accustomed to using like a product or a software or a computer or I don't know, a kitchen appliance, anything. Okay. And all of a sudden, without any reason or without any real reason to, the product changes. Okay. And it doesn't really need to but it changes and then you find yourself in a situation where you have to kind of like relearn this whole process that you had probably just gotten your arms around you know and now all of a sudden you got to start over again now i hate i hate when they do that you know i hate when that happens but nowadays, you know, it happens all the time. And if you listen to my Singularity podcast, I forget which episode number it was, but it was the one about planned obsolescence. You know, I covered this pretty well. This, I, this, this, I covered this pretty well. This frustration that comes from, you know, when something you finally, you know, managed to work and get to function uh, changes. And you go right back to zero and you have to start over again, okay? Well, recently that happened to me again, okay? For the past maybe five or six years, I've been making compact discs for, you know, my fans. Like, I'm the kind of person who will always be making CDs because I like to listen to CDs. I prefer them over MP3s or vinyl or cassette or anything. I like CDs. They're easy for me. Uh, I like to look at the cover art even and all that kind of stuff. So I'll always be making CDs for my fans because I want that for them. Okay. And for the past maybe six years, I've been using Amazon you know, they have this setup where you can design your own CDs and everything. And uh, it's a relatively complicated process in some ways, but compared to most others, I found it to be probably the simplest, you know, uh, compared to everything else that was out there. So I was used to it and I liked it and it was easy and I got it done and it, you know, It allowed me to really kind of service my audience, you know, with compact discs in a relatively easy way. Well, all of a sudden, without warning, you know, Amazon changed everything, you know, and now, you know, the the old way is completely gone and they've switched the service over to some other company and, uh, you know, a whole different set of templates and specs and all this kind of crap that I have to relearn again. And it's like, ugh, you know, it's just so frustrating. But here's what really pisses me off, okay? Is with the old way that Amazon had it set up, the way that I was used to using, they would allow you to proof a copy of the CD for like a really low price, like maybe a third of the cost, okay? Like, just to make sure that the colors were right and the CD looked good and the sound was good and everything was lined up the way you thought it would be, 
and everything. Just a way to check it over and confirm that it's a go. Everything's ready to go, right? And, okay, and that process of proofing would happen or could happen before the CD was released to the public. Obviously, you would want to, you know, make sure it was right before it was available to the entire world, right? Um, So all of a sudden, out of the blue, Amazon changed their setup, right, to this other company that won okay doesn't allow you to get a proof copy unless you pay full price right (laughs) yeah okay full price for a copy of a cd that may or may not be correct okay but here's the real kicker okay you can't proof it without the cd going public first now think about that Isn't that the stupidest idea? Okay, what would be the point of proofing a CD setup, you know, layout, cover, uh, you know, all the text and artwork? What would be the point of proofing it if it's available for public consumption immediately? So while my proof may be incorrect, it may need to be adjusted somehow. It's too late. It's already made public. What a stupid, stupid idea. Okay? That is like one of the dumbest things. It didn't need to change. Everything was fine. It was a good system. It worked well. And some idiot somewhere, you know, thought it was a great idea, you know, to change the whole damn thing. Right? And now it's ruined. It's kind of like I'm like looking around to find another company to use to make my compact discs. So if you're one of those people who's kind of wondering, you know, one of the five people who's kind of wondering, why hasn't Pipe Choir released the Escon's album on CD yet? Okay, trust me, the cover art's ready. Everything's ready to go, man. I just got to find the right company and, you know, the right system to put my artwork and my music through in order to make a compact disc and make it available online. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've checked them all out. Trust me. You know, DistroKid, all the companies, I've looked at them all, right? And I'm still kind of up in the air about it. I can't really come up with one definitive company to go with. So until then, you know, there will be no Pipe Choir Escon's album. And even the album that I'm currently working on, man, I don't even know how I'm going to do it. But I'll figure something out. It just pisses me off. It's one of those things that changed and it didn't need to. It's kind of like there's this brand of soup canned condensed soup that's available in America. It's Campbell's Soup. It's a very famous company. It's probably over a hundred years old. Um, Made famous, okay, the label for Campbell's Soup was made famous by the very famous artist Andy Warhol, a pop artist, okay? Andy Warhol did uh, iconic images like Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, Mao Zedong, 
the Campbell soup label, the Brillo pad label. Like he would make pop art, you know, out of this stuff. And um, maybe about five years ago, maybe longer than that, maybe six or seven years ago or something, the Campbell's Soup Company, okay, some idiot that works for Campbell's Soup, okay, some dumbass, okay, decided to change their logo on their can of soup. It changed this iconic, you know, immortalized can. I mean, it's it's soup for crying out loud, you know? Uh, they changed their the label, this iconic label, because like somebody thought it was like a good idea or something, or like they needed to become more modern or something. It's like, can you can you imagine how stupid you must be to not realize like the last thing that Campbell's soup should probably ever do is change their label <laughs> because it's famous all over the world now, even for people who will never eat their soup. You know, it's like it's not just a label anymore. It's iconic. Do you know how lucky and fortunate you were that Andy Warhol decided to choose your label to print and to make infamous and eternal? You know, don't you understand how privileged you are that Andy Warhol chose your label out of all the millions of products that were being sold, you know, on the market at that time. He chose your can of soup because it was iconic. And, you know, he immortalized it. Now it's it's forever famous, you know, this label and some dope that works for that company changed it. <laughs> so stupid. You don't do that. Just leave it alone. You are so fortunate. <laughs> Why would you change it? Oh my goodness gracious, you know? Is it a big deal? No. Does it really matter? No. But it's just one of those things like, oh, how stupid, you know? How stupid. That's a mistake, man. Whoever did that, whoever's idea it was, like at the boardroom table that day, they said, you know what we should do? We should change the label. That person should be fired, you know? Like, get out of here. It's the last thing you should have done. Oh, well. Maybe I'm just old-fashioned, but I don't think so. Okay, enough about the Campbell soup label, but you follow my point, right? Anyway. Um... <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, hold on. This one's going to require a sip of coffee, so hang on. And I suggest that you might do the same. Here's to you. Cheers. Coffee's great. Can't live without it. Oh, my gosh, is that good? Mm. I shouldn't say I can't live without it. That's not true. That's an overstatement, but I probably wouldn't want to live without it. You know what I mean? I can't imagine a world without coffee. <laughs> okay, so, okay, here's my next topic, folks. The world according to Mike. Um, 
I have noticed, okay, that it's like a trend, I guess, you know, for people who do podcasts and, you know, people who make content for YouTube and those kinds of things, you know, there's all this stuff with like Patreon and, uh, you know, PayPal, you know, money, you know, making revenue from your content. And, you know, I can understand that. All right. I understand that. Everybody needs to put food on the table and whatnot. I, I get that. Okay. But it is just so annoying sometimes to me. Okay. It annoys me when I'm watching something and they start out their video or whatever it is with this diatribe about all the stuff that you can, you know, spend money on, you know, all the ways that you can give them money, you know, for making their content. Like, you know, <laughs> like you owe it to them or something. <laughs> and I just wanted to say to you, my audience, okay, you will never hear me ask you for money or anything like that. I don't have a Patreon page. I never will. I'm not interested in it. Okay, okay. I shouldn't say never. You know, never say never about having a Patreon page or something like that, but I don't want it, okay? And uh, I've noticed that I see a lot of that now. You know, it's like the, the new fad. You know, if you're a content creator, you have to kind of like talk about your t-shirts that you sell. I mean, this is like right out of the gate. As soon as you press play on the video or the podcast or whatever, they give you this litany of stuff that you could spend money on in order to, you know, subsidize their content. But it's like, I've been doing this stuff for free for so long. Okay. And honestly, it's really not about the money. And maybe that's because I have the luxury of having it that way or something. Okay. So maybe I'm way off and I should just shut up about it. But it's just one of those things that kind of just chaps my ass a little bit. Like, oh, brother, you know, everybody's everybody wants money. Did you ever notice that? Everybody wants money from you. Like they're entitled to it, you know, and it's just so stupid to me. Am I wrong? Do I sound like a jerk? I don't know. I probably am. You know, I'm certainly capable of being a jerk sometimes, but it's one of those things where it's like, man, you know, really? You're going to ask me for cash? I don't have any. You know, I don't have any. I just want to watch your video, man. It's not the most important thing in my life, and I don't want to dedicate, you know, my finances to you. You know, I just want to watch your video about what, uh, you know, making a Eddie Van Halen replica guitar, you know, <laughs> for 15 minutes or something. That's all I want to do. I don't want to have to pay to watch it. You know, I pay YouTube or I pay my cable bill, whatever. So I will never ask you. OK, let it be known. OK, that from this point forward that I will probably, OK, probably never Never ask you for money, okay? My stuff is available to you for free. It is made by me and me alone, which reminds me of another topic I want to talk about. 
And this has been happening a lot lately, actually. Okay. I have a lot of content creators, you know, that I communicate with and stuff like that. And it's really strange to me. There seems to be kind of like this wave of artists who are making the claim that all of the content that they create and release to the public is made by them and them alone. Okay, like DIY, totally one person. They do it all by themselves. And I'm one of those artists, right? I'm one of those creators. Like I, I don't rely on anyone else for anything. Okay. Like part of the satisfaction of what I'm doing, like part of what satisfies me is that like, for instance, when you watch that video for dream on that bot video that I made. Okay. Part of the satisfaction of doing all of that for me is that when you press play, okay, on that video, everything you see and hear is coming from one mind, one person, okay? I don't collaborate with anyone. I don't have an assistant who helps me build the costumes for the robots. I don't, you know, I don't have... Uh, a lyricist who writes the lyrics for me, you know, I write the song, I arrange the song, I produce the song, I record the song, I make the CD cover art, I release the music to the public on different platforms, I make the video, I put the camera up, I set the lighting, I make the costume. You follow what I'm saying? When I say that I'm DIY and I do this by myself, I do this by myself. I don't have a team of people, right? But what I've found, okay, is that I have a lot of people coming at me and they're kind of saying things to me like, I'm like you, Mike. I'm like you. I do everything myself. Okay, that's cool, you know? A comrade in arms, right? Like somebody who, who gets it and understands what it's like to do all this stuff by yourself. That's pretty cool. But then I start to dig a little bit beneath the surface and, you know, through conversations or whatever, it comes out that they're not doing everything themselves. They have like someone else recording them and, you know, they might be demoing out of their house, but the finished recordings are done in some fancy studio by some highly skilled engineer, right? Or, uh the cover art and their logo or whatever is designed by someone else or their video is shot and directed and edited by someone else, right? So apparently, I guess my point is, there seems to be kind of like some currency in doing things yourself nowadays, like being a solo artist and, you know, generating the content by yourself. But I find that more often than not, when people make the claim, okay, that they're a DIY artist and they do it themselves, it's not really true. They're not. They're not doing it themselves. And uh, I'm not sure why that is, okay? I would imagine maybe, okay, maybe it's something like uh, it seems a little bit cooler. It's like kind of like hip and... Uh, 
it kind of gives people the impression that you're like really creative or something. If you can say that you're a DIY artist, like there's a status that is uh, associated with being a DIY artist. But um, with the exception of maybe a handful of people that I've talked to and dealt with uh, in the past few years or something, uh, maybe five people that I've talked to out of maybe like, let's say like a thousand. Okay. Only about five of them really do it themselves. I mean, they're really by themselves. Okay. And the rest of them are kind of like just making the claim. Isn't that weird? I think that's weird. Like why, why, you know, I guess it just, for some reason now it's important that people are perceived that way. And I guess I should feel fortunate, okay, that that's the case because I am, I am a DIY artist, okay? I have nothing outsourced to anyone. I don't collaborate with anyone. It's all from one source. The drum track, the guitar track, the lyrics, the vocals, the engineering, the production, the mastering, the video, I mean, everything, everything is done by one person. And that's what I get satisfaction from, you know? Like, you can press play on this video I just made, like Dream On, like I mentioned, and everything you see in here was made by one person, including the tags and the description on the video. Okay, like I'm proud of that fact that you get the whole enchilada and it comes from one one imagination, one person, one central idea from one person. It's not a team of people. Now, I'm not bragging, okay, because trust me, a lot of the time it sucks having to do everything by myself. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, I have in my past life you know, collaborated with other musicians and whatnot. And a lot of the time it was really just an uphill climb, you know, uh, for one reason or another, like not sharing the same vision or having to argue about really stupid and arbitrary things. And, you know, I'm the kind of person, like if it's going to be pipe choir, if it's going to be something that I'm generating, I know exactly what I want most of the time. Right. So in my own defense, right, or I guess blowing my own trumpet a little bit, you know, I'm I'm proud of the fact that it all is generated by me and I'm the arbiter of taste. And when I make the claim that I'm a DIY artist, it's not a half truth. You know, I mean, I I'm full on like doing this thing by myself and my, my poor wife. You know, she has to kind of, you know, support this endeavor. You know, she has to kind of be behind me with this. And, you know, yeah, okay, okay, I guess you can say that my wife does help me sometimes, but it's really kind of more like on the clerical end. You know, it's the stuff that I'm like either too stupid or too old or too tech immigrant to like figure out or something. But when it comes to the hands on and the creation of things and the, the artistic aspects of what I'm generating, it's mono, man. It's just me. 
Just Mike, right? Pretty cool. I don't know. Maybe that sounds a little bit arrogant, but if you're taking it that way, then I'll apologize right now and say that's not what I mean, okay? I'm really not tooting my own horn, okay? I'm just kind of pointing out that for some reason it matters to other people that I talk to or that engage me, like talk to me about my music and their music or whatever. Um, they kind of are coming at me like they want me to know that they're like me. And like for some reason that matters and or should matter. And it doesn't really to me. It doesn't. But why they need to make the claim? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why it matters that much. But for some reason, it kind of seems to. So anyway, I think that I've probably made enough noise for one day. Uh, so stay tuned to what I'm doing here, folks, because there's a lot, a lot of new material and new content, new things coming down the pike real soon. And all of it will be free. You won't have to be on my Patreon page to see it. Uh, I don't want your money. You don't have to buy my t-shirts. You don't have to buy my music or my CDs or anything. It is all there for free. Uh, always will be. And uh, I hope that you enjoy that. I hope that you appreciate that. And uh, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not even going to ask for donations or click subscribe or like or whatever. I'm not even going to ask. Because that's what everybody else does. And I'm the kind of guy who doesn't do what everyone else does. At least I try not to. Okay, I consciously try to not do what everyone else does. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> I should write that down because, yeah, that's a topic for another singularity now, isn't it? Just doing my own thing, right? Total weirdo, like for real. I'm like a real weirdo. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? You know, if you would have told me that I was going to grow up to be a real weirdo, I would have been so happy, you know, like all my life, all I ever really wanted to be was weird. I just wanted to be different, right? <laughs> my poor wife, <laughs> my poor wife, who, by the way, okay, uh, today, the day I'm recording this is May 1st. Okay, the first day of May, and it's also my wedding anniversary. Okay, 15 years my wife and I have been married. And let me tell you, that the easiest and happiest 15 years of my life, seriously. I mean, I can't believe it's been 15 years, but in some ways it feels like it's been my whole life. You know, like I just can't really remember what life was like before her for some reason. But when she says 15 years, it's like, wow. A decade and a half we've been married. It's crazy. Anyway, the reason I'm bringing that up is because yesterday, April 30th, was my birthday. Okay? May 1st, the day after my birthday, is my wedding anniversary. And then May 2nd, the day after my wedding anniversary, is my wife's birthday. Now, isn't that cool? Isn't that crazy? It's like it was written in the stars, right? April 30th, May 1st, and May 2nd. Three days in a row. Of course, you know, we did plan our wedding 
to be, you know, right in between our birthdays. But uh, it's kind of a romantic thing, isn't it? You know, it's kind of romantic, like my wife and I, you know, our birthdays are so close and everything. Anyway, yeah, I can shut up about that now. But let me tell you, easiest 15 years of my life, like the best, the best person. Oh, so there you go. That's enough talking for today. Like I said, I think I made enough noise for one day. But uh, have a great weekend, everybody. And until next time, until I talk to you next time, hang in there. Keep working hard. Have some fun. Eat some ice cream. Drink some coffee. And try to get as much sleep as you possibly can. This is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks... If you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.